Blog Talk Radio. Thank you for um, allowing me to um, join your show. 
No, absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, one of the reasons we wanted to continue the conversation, we actually start this conversation locally here in Atlanta, and um, immediately I, I said to Derek right afterwards, let's keep this conversation going because there's, there's a, other pieces to it, and hopefully other callers on the, the phone, and especially one of the panelists we're hoping will join us tonight too, uh, that was on the Atlanta panel, and that was uh, Gary Vaz. So we're looking forward to, to him dialing in as well. And um, if Gary, if you're on the line, just press 1. And when we see you in the queue, we, we'll welcome you to the show as well to be a part of this continuing conversation. But I'm actually going to have Derek kind of recap for us. The, the original event took place March 18th uh, here in Atlanta at the Polygon uh, at Atlantic Station, if you all know that, that area. And, and uh, Derek, just kind of set the context of how you set that up. We can even talk uh, about the panelists that were on the original um, live panel and then uh, talk about the conversation, and then we'll pick it up from there. Absolutely, Jacqueline. So the premise was around risk-based security and self-protection. And one of the things we wanted to do was allow the room to kind of gauge the dialogue and set the tone and drive it in a direction that they felt was most important. So the folks that sat on the panel, there was Gary Voss, cybersecurity solutions architect and an expert in the field, and Ty Lambeau, the chief information security officer for the city of Atlanta. So we felt that we had enough rich experience and knowledge on the stage in order to carry a worthwhile conversation and dive into whatever direction we felt was necessary as the crowd directed. And, well, it got interesting, and, and Jacqueline, you and I discussed this. We wanted to make sure we struck a balance, but something that I thought might happen did happen, and we leaned kind of aggressively into the area of self-protection, and folks really wanted to talk about their dollars and how they secure their identity. So we spent an inordinate amount of time on that subject matter and, and fraud and self-protection and the possibility of what could happen, what has happened, and how you might go about being a much more responsible steward of your own professional data and your personal data and things of that nature. But at the end of the day, we realized, and some people in the crowd actually called it out, we never did get around to one of the things that we always maintain as a mandate for our monthly meetings. And, Jack, when you called me out on it personally, we always want to make sure that any subject matter we bring to the table, we identify for the people that attend how you might get into the field, which uh, certifications you might need and, and which groups you might need to join in order to become more adept in the subject matter. I think we got very enthusiastic about talking about criminals overseas and, and how they steal data and what you could possibly do and corporate responsibility, policy, all of these things. And it was a very great and stirring conversation. I think everybody agreed on that. But to Jacqueline's point, the conversation wasn't done. So the board, over the course of the year, decided we wanted to make sure that this was a recurring conversation, and we felt that doing this next on Technology Expresso was an ideal venue, an uh, ideal channel in which to continue this. And from here, you know, we'll cover what we can tonight, but as we all know, this, this conversation isn't dying. It's not going anywhere. And as criminals get more competent, corporations try to drive beyond compliance, and innovators come up with new things and new ways to secure ourselves, this conversation is going to continue. So I don't expect us to cover it all tonight, and we won't do it in one more panel discussion live. It's something that's going to have to continue, and we'll just have to figure out which venues we want to have that dialogue 
but it's an important one. And that was the tone that was set that evening, and we're continuing it now. Absolutely, and you know the the, the feedback, even as you as you uh, talked about, you know, the, the it, it was uh, like you said, it was a very stirring. The the audience was very engaged, and, and that's so important. And, and that's kind of setting the tone, like you said, um, and opening up the door to a lot of different avenues. But uh, I'm glad that we were able to connect on this and quickly get this scheduled um, on our calendar. So that we also, why the, the momentum was there too, didn't want to leave people just kind of open-ended and to to look at uh, from a, even a professional's perspective, someone who's been in this industry and probably seen a lot of trends and um, even to, to give us some glimmer of hope of things to come, maybe some of the, the cutting-edge solutions that are out there. You know, love to dissect a problem, but also love providing solutions too and telling people how they can be part of the solution. You know, we talk about this a lot, uh, about not just being consumers, but here there's a whole industry and, you know, to the audience, that if you're frustrated with how security is, is handled, and then we need to be a part of the solution. We need to be coming up with the solutions. We need to be the innovators um, and the leaders in that industry. And again, that great segue to, to introducing uh, Julius Clark. And, and Julius, I'd like you to kind of um, take the audience into a, a deeper introduction of your career in IT and your introduction to uh, security. Okay, um, well, I started off in technology by going to college and obtaining a, a degree in electronic engineering. Um, I worked for a company um, in Massachusetts that did work with Jet Propulsion Labs. I've been fortunate enough to work with individuals who created parts that were left on the moon and um research that was done on the Voyager satellite that left the system um, some years ago. Um, but computing kept calling me um, to it. And, uh, in high school, I learned how to um, – I learned programming. And just the fascination as desktops started coming into the business environment and the mainframe people didn't want to support them. And so – I started to support them uh, as an end user and just got out of the engineering um, area and then got back into technology. And I've done everything from um, managing servers, um, creating data centers, uh, managing telephone networks, um, network um, lands, uh, wide area lands, and it just seemed that I was on top of the world managing all this technology, but then it's like the bottom fell out in like late 1999, early 2000, when we had a multitude of things happen from like things like Enron because of improper controls where people are able to manipulate systems to say that a company is doing well uh, when it really isn't doing well. Um, so then we had, like, Sox, Sarbanes Oxley was created. And I was working in the financial industry at that time. And we, as a system engineer, I spent many nights changing um, and updating systems so that we can comply to Sarbanes Oxley 
and other um, regulatory, new regulatory rules like um, Gramm-Leach-Bliley. And then it just continued when we had, like, really massive worms like Code Red and NIMDA that shut organizations down for weeks. And they spent um, that time patching servers in which I had my aha moment and um, I said that, you know, um, I guess my purpose was to master the technology so that I could learn how to um, protect it. And I had a real keen sense of learning cybersecurity. Um, so I went back to school and I got a master's in cybersecurity. Fascinating journey, fascinating. So a master's in, in cybersecurity. And, 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 and so thank you for that. And, and one of the things I want to do, I've got a couple of people, other people queued up on the line, so I just kind of want to acknowledge them as, as well. And uh, one of them, uh, David and I, we're in different locations tonight, but uh, David, just want to give you a chance to say hello to our audience tonight. Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining for Technology Expresso Cafe Radio. Uh, interesting conversation. I enjoy the uh, topic and uh, very intriguing. Thank you. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, and and as we as I, I, I want to just continue um, along our our conversation there and and talk about um, Julius. Now, being in cybersecurity, um, tell us about some of the trends that you're seeing. You know, some people, technology is getting more complex. Would you say that it's getting worse or it's just the nature of cybersecurity that we're always going to be somewhat in a, a reactive mode? What, what are your thoughts? Um, my thoughts are that with anything, and as um, civilization, over the centuries, um, for thousands of years, you you just have to uh, learn to adapt or you get left behind. And with cybersecurity, um, it's, re it's really dangerous because if you don't adapt your controls, your way of thinking, um, you're still in the past. And as new technologies um, emerge, the risk landscape just increases. Um, so in terms of, like, current trends, um, from a personal standpoint, people are storing less of their data on their personal devices, and they're uploading it to the cloud. Um, so the biggest trend right now is understanding what's happening to your data when it's in the cloud and how to protect your data when it's in the cloud. Yes, that that is very interesting. You, like you said, the introduction of new technology and then people are, are adapting to it, uh, it's always evolving. So I'm, I'm sure from your perspective, um, you're constantly having to renew your, your education and your, um, you know, get training and, and awareness. Um, can you kind of talk about that? How do you keep up with that as a, as a professional? Okay, um, one, one way that I keep up um, with that, and I'm, I'm forced to do it, um, after obtaining my master's degree and um, getting some years in, in um, the field, um, I became a um, certified information system security professional, and many people know that by the acronym CISSP. 
Now, um, that was a grueling exam, six hours long. I never want to take that god-awful exam again. Um, but that, to, uh, to maintain my certification, I have to um, receive a minimum of 40 hours of continuing um, professional education um, in that area of cybersecurity, uh, as well as um, I work for um, Wells Fargo as an information security officer, and I have to take mandatory training um, that keeps us abreast of the industry and um, rules and regulations that um, are, um, are required for the company. Understood. Understood. Excellent. And 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 let me let me um bring in uh bring Derek back in because Derek, kind of hosting and being the facilitator for the 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 panel we here had we had here in Atlanta, um I I kind of got the sense and, and want to get your opinion. Got the sense people were really concerned. We were concerned about their their personal security, their their personal their their digital space. Um, what what were your thoughts as you were hearing the the audience? Do you think did you feel like it was from a matter of education? Was it founded? Was it unfounded? Um, or is it just a, a matter that maybe us in IT take for granted that people know some of the the basics uh, about cybersecurity and protecting yourself? What are your thoughts? Well, I'll take it back to a couple of things. Two in particular. First. You know critical thinking is my passion, so I always have to step back and try to take a holistic look at the situation. So when I do that, I have to recognize that there are some things that I can control and some things that I can't. Who's doing it? What's being done? Why are they doing it? When is it happening? And where is it occurring? Simplistic questions that I can't apply an answer to. Whether I control those factors or not is up for conjecture, and, and I have to find the right answer. That's my personal critical thinking exercise. But I tied back to something that Ty Lambeau said, and, and he, was, he, was very, he was very clear about it, and the same thing had happened to me. A lot of us in America had received snail mails that week from Anthem, and, you know, that's a health company. But it's your usual disclaimer that's about four or five, well, not disclaimer, but informer, about four or five pages. They had a breach, and these are the things that you need to be aware of. This is what you must check on, and if you have any questions, we have a center set up to try and manage any, any, any contingencies or, or issues that might occur. That is the most cost-effective way that they can go about doing it. They may, that means they put money in play to set up a center to address people who may call. They can't do anything it, it, further than that because it will be totally cost-prohibitive. So a lot of what was coming up during the panel discussion was dialogue around, well, what is my level of responsibility? Because I think the company needs to own that. And my thought around that, as you recall, was we need to step back. And Julius and I had a conversation about this very concept yesterday, that there's a differentiator between how Americans look at personal information and how Europeans do, whether you be the person that's just living in your home, going about your day, or you're a corporate entity, or you're a part of government. They take security to a different level and look at those data elements as something that really does have a strong personal ownership component. What I think needs to happen in America, and I think it's a direct result of our acculturation, is, you know, we need to try and look at a, a much more European-centric viewpoint at this matter, because that anthem letter that I got, I responded to it the same way Tyler, I did. 
It's four pages long, and I don't feel like reading it. And the print is like eight-point font. It's a lot of stuff. But at the end of the day, you have to decide whether or not you're going to accept responsibility for what might have occurred to your personal data that this corporation has access to. Now, some people in the in the group were arguing, well, wait a minute now, you know, I need my health insurance, and I gave it to this corporation. They have to be responsible for it. Well, when you get back to a critical thinking perspective, everything boils down to a choice. You can choose to engage in commerce of any type, or you can decide not to. If you do so because you know it's a component that keeps your family healthy and living, then that's a choice that has things that go along with it. They're implied. They're implicit. That means you have to give them personal information. You have to do the best you can to safeguard what you provide, and you hope that in terms of the transaction that takes place, that they're applying things in an appropriate manner. And this is what, what Julius is talking about in terms of where he gets educated and how he has to continuously get certified. As technology improves, my expectation is that Anthem is going to do a better job carrying my data. You know, the fact that I got a letter back and it had my daughter's name on it and said there may have been a breach in her data, well, she's seven. She doesn't have a credit card or anything of that nature. This is something that concerns me greatly. So what do I have to do? I need to stop and read those four pages in that eight-point font. From a critical thinker's perspective, it may take some time, and I may not want to do it, but if I want to be more responsible, more engaged, and technology is forcing me to do so, it's something that I have to own. I don't think the panel got there yet, but I think over the course of the year, as we continue the conversation, we'll try and find that fine line. And in that, I think part of this will be the realization that we have to be more engaged than ever before. Here in America, of course, we'll still continue to push a lot of that responsibility to the corporations, and the expectation is fair. Be more than just compliant, as Julius and those of us in IT like myself, to be a bit more responsible, raise the level up a little bit. But at the same time, you have to safeguard and own what's yours. No, that that is uh, so so valid on on so many different levels, and and I think people can't you know they need to be very clear that just because it's digital, because it's online, uh, like you said, it's still yours. It's your responsibility where it's going, what websites you're you're using. Um, but as I, I listen to your analogy, I think people sometimes get desensitized to all the forms and the fine print, so to speak. But um, we've got to renew ourselves and, and make that commitment, like you said, even though sometimes it's, it's a little bit um, painful. And, and Julius, I, I want to bring you into the conversation. Uh, again, there were, there were people in the audience, and the question was about their, their personal information and were the corporations doing enough and, uh, you know, clearly the feeling that they need to do more to protect their, their information. And, you know, people hear, and sometimes I think about this in, in regards to plane crashes, people hear the news, they hear the plane crashes, they play it over and over for several days. I mean, it, it's right there in front of you. Um, but And so all of a sudden that's the main thing that people focus on. So when people hear breaches, I know over Christmas, um, Target, for example, um, and they're not the only one. I think even on the panel discussion, Home Depot may have came up. But not to say them in any way, but but people hear that, and then I think they go to the extremes 
that these corporations are being, um, you know, intentionally negligent. And I dare say, and Derek, this is one thing I didn't get to say, you know, as a part of the audience participation, was the reality in, in working in IT and working for these corporations, regardless of what the government mandates or doesn't mandate, these organizations, um, they, they survive on their reputation. So it, it's very painful when your name happens to be the one that, that's flashed across this. And I don't think that people um, should feel that these corporations are being negligent. Um, I guess I side on the air on the side that it's just really difficult to keep up with these criminals. By the time you're creating one patch for one type of Trojan or um, one type of, of breach of security or hacking, then they're already on to their you know next exercise, and they're they're making a full time job out of figuring out where they can hack, what they can breach, and how they can make the news, even if it's anonymous. And, and some of these are even um, some some you know fear terrorists. Um, um, acts. But, but Julius, from your perspective again, what are your thoughts in, in you know, working from both sides, being just a, a citizen, and, and even maybe what are the things you do to protect yourself and, and would share with others, but then also working in corporations? What would you say? Okay, there's a lot here, but I'm going yeah. go right <laughs> to I'm gonna go right to the root cause. Um, the citizens of the United States are going to have to become activists in this area. Um, they're going to have to understand that their voting or lack of voting is tied to cybersecurity as well. And as Derek was saying, America is very lax. Other nations on this planet take protecting the privacy and the data of their um, citizens very seriously. Certain country, countries if something happens, um, like, say, Germany, they can come in and take a server from the data center to do forensics on. You know, I mean, they, it, it, we really have to become act activists because we have the President of the United States who ha has a cybersecurity bill out there that he will sign, but Congress will not bring it forward to vote on it. Um, just look in... No one does anything. You can't get anybody to do anything um, correctly unless there's the fear of them going to jail. Um, just look at the complexity of people across this nation driving on the highway. You have to stay in your lane. You have to obey the speed limits. You can't drive the way you want and be selfish because of Eliza at stake if you drive crazy and um, other people are injured or die because of it, you will go to jail. Um, in the financial in, um, in, um, industry, after so many people had their uh, retirement um, funds depleted um, with the Enron and WorldCom scandal, uh, it was so serious that Congress came up with these controls of Sarbanes-Oxley, and those laws were so hard on, um, and they were implemented um, with a sense of urgency by the um, financial um, companies uh, because people could literally go to jail because of this law. So until Americans understand um, the how your voting is also attached to cybersecurity and that we need to hold these businesses accountable, so if you are 
a CEO and you um, run the risk of going to prison, oh, believe me, you're going to make sure that you are doing things to um, – you're practicing due care and due diligence with other people's um, um, privacy and data. And the last thing in terms of protecting your data, the same way we use locking keys to lock your doors to your car and your house, it's encryption. Encryption are the keys that lock up your digital data. If your vendors that you're using, other software, um, cloud providers um, you're using don't provide encryption um, that, that secures your data where only you have the key to get access to that data, you don't want to deal with them. Well, well said, well said, and and you know it. You now this is one of the things that that as you were were speaking, you know that I kind of circled here is that you talked about there's a cybersecurity bill, and and more than likely a lot of people don't even aren't even aware that there's a cybersecurity bill and what it means to them, and that's that's kind of even the the starting point of our complacency. And and, and you're absolutely right. I think people. Um, have taken for granted, you know, this, this free uh, piece of, of technology, especially around the, the Internet and that type of thing, and um, they overlook that it could be taken away, it could be censored, um, e even cybersecurity could go too far in the other direction uh, where people are monitoring and using your information. So it can, it can go both ways and that people need to be um, educated citizens of the, the digital world, quite honestly. And, and, and Derek, anything that you want to say or, or add uh, along those regards or tie into our, our, our conversation previously? Uh, yeah, I, I had to um, hold my, my, my hand over my mouth and laugh as I, I heard Julia starting to talk because we, we covered some of the same ground yesterday and I knew he might go there. But it's, it's very serious stuff and it introduces that component of politics that's funny but not funny. Um, there are those of us out there that don't want to listen and we, we hate and we dislike for whatever reason. We don't need to ask why. So many of us understand the rationale, but there are good things that many of us want to do that need to be done, but people hold back because of ideology. That ideology, that, ideology, that ideological bend is dangerous. It, it, it opens us up to risk, and it ties into what, um, what I was actually doing yesterday for a while. I spoke to Julius before I went to a conference to host to a, host a cloud panel exposing some adults and some and some young folks to cybersecurity and um, cloud development. And some of the concepts that Julius and I were talking about came up in, in, in that discussion. And one of the things we didn't get too deep on in the panel was the title of our monthly meeting. And, and bear with me, I'm tying it all together. But we talk about risk-based security. And in the future, especially when you talk about a cloud 2.0 environment where applications like Uber and, and integrated piece of face, pieces of Facebook exist entirely in the cloud where your information will reside too, the concept of securitization at a higher level comes up. Well, it's not just the things that we play with. It's a vital infrastructure. So Julia said, well, Derek, why are you a part of InfraGuard? And uh, he said, first, he said, InfraGuard, he said, well, first, have you heard of it? And I said, yes. He said, well, why are you part of it? And Jacqueline, you know how I am. I have so many buckets, and, well, I just never got around to it. But we'll say it was serendipity because when I walked in there and I did that panel, the folks from InfraGuard 
were there. And they were talking about it. And they were talking about how folks here in America need to take a deeper responsibility. And for those that won't do or those that won't vote for, those of us that can need to try and do. So InfraGuard offers offers a, uh, an opportunity for folks in various cities to get engaged in this cybersecurity effort and do what you can to make sure that not only from a personal standpoint our assets are securitized appropriately, but you're adding your knowledge, your your ability, your thought processes to the efforts of making sure this nation is secure. And if we're all considering and thinking about that approach and that concept critically, that kind of thing bubbles up. I mean, if you can't launch at it from the top, then you do it from a grassroots perspective. And that kind of activity, the, the discussions that people are having on that panel, lends itself towards this approach. So I had to hit, I had to hit Julius back and say, you know, God was looking. So <laughs> I've joined InfraGuard. I'm, I'm, I'm definitely going to be a member. I got to get, uh, you got to get FBI certified and all that good stuff. But the fact of the matter is. You know, where those who won't do for ideology, those of us who are aspiring critical thinkers and have a keen understanding of what's right and what must be done must do. And I just, I really don't know a better way to say it. Dialogue like this, discussions that matter, panel conversations and discussions that inform people, that expose them, these are the things that do matter because nonsense happens in the ideological divide. Critical thinkers try to close that gap and do what's necessary. And everybody here on this phone is an aspiring critical thinker. So all of us should be continuing to we should continue to engage in this and do what we can. Jack, are you still there? Is anybody still there? Hey, Derek, this is Julius. I'm still here. I, I, absolutely. We're here, and, and I want to say, with critical thinking also comes critical action. And I love the fact that, you know, giving people tangible activities that they can do, you know, action items. You know, we're, we're in, in meetings all day long, and I'm always calling out, did, did anyone capture the action items? So I'm just going to recap. You know, look, look into the cybersecurity bill. That's what I want my audience to do. And I want you to look into InfoGuard. These are things that you can do. So um, I love where this dialogue is going. And you know what? You're, you guys are getting the audience excited. And actually, I've, I've got uh, David. David, you wanna, you've got something you want to also contribute to the conversation. Hi, everyone. Thanks. Uh, this is a great conversation and a great topic. I met Julius last year at the BDPA national event. Uh, we had some discussions there, and we met again uh, last year at an event there in Charlotte, and we engaged to talk about cybersecurity. So, Julius, I want to congratulate you on your journey and your ability to transform uh, your uh, yourself professionally into an area that's very uh, uh, very lucrative, very promising, and, and, and very necessary. Um, I work for a large financial institution called FIS Global Fidelity Information Systems, and we provide 
IT services to the banking and insurance industry. And daily, one of the key aspects that we stress is security. Um, all of our infrastructure that I'm building, my server architecture that we build, has to comply with PCI regulations, and that's the purchase card industry security, uh, providing segmentation on the different platforms and that will fight a lot of the uh, intrusions that a lot of the banks and other institutions, even the small institutions and the stores uh, that, that, use the, that proliferate the Internet for business, have to comply with these, um, with these standards. So this is a very necessary uh, area. And this country uh, values freedom almost more than security. It's a very interesting balance. And with the explosion of the Internet technologies in the last 25 years or so, it's provided a means of business and job and opportunity for a multitude of people and, 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 and individuals with great ideas. And uh, one thing that we like to do is we build it first and let's do it first, and then they focus on how to secure it. And here is living proof of uh, the drawback to that. When you create these opportunities and these new technologies, they're not secure. And, they're, and for every good and great idea that, the, that spawns off of the Internet and from technology, there are five, at least ten, individuals or groups out there trying to hack or break whatever it is you're trying to build. So security is very important, and it's, almost, and it's a balancing act that goes along with the freedoms that this country provides that's necessary to make sure everyone's data and personal data is secure moving into the future. So it's a great conversation. Absolutely, absolutely, and, and, and well said. And, and, and I love the, the passion. Uh, there's a, a lot of people that feel very passionate about it. And, 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 and therefore, like um, our guest, Julius Clark, pursuing careers in this area where there's a problem, you, you need problem solvers. And, and there is a wide open field that's not going away. Um, so, you know, that's the other piece that we want to open up people's minds and thoughts. And I have another caller on the, the line, too, that uh, has, uh, wants to weigh in on the topic. And one of the things I want to say to those on the phone, if you're interested and would like to weigh in, just press 1, and I will get you in in the mix. And, and we're talking on cybersecurity. Uh, you're protecting your digital identity. And I uh, really appreciate Derek Brown who kicked off this conversation here in Atlanta with a, a panel discussion. And now we have our Julius Clark, uh, who is the CIO of the uh, National BDPA and um, also a longtime professional, professional in the uh, cybersecurity and security area. But let me, let me go to the phones and, and see who else we have on the, the line. I'm opening up the line for a number. It ends in 6106. And um, who do I have on the line? This is Gary Voss. Are you there? Would you like to speak with us tonight and talk with us about cybersecurity? Your mic is open. If not, I can check back with you in, in, the, in a few minutes. 
But again, we welcome everyone who is uh, who's joined us tonight. It's a hot topic, and everyone in some form or fashion, you know, is, can be impacted by digital information. And, and some people, and, and this is a question um, for Derek and for, for Julius, in regards to some people may hear this conversation or they may have heard the rumors or seen what they, you know, seen things on the news. And so it may be the inclination to go to the other extreme and just stay away from IT, stay away from the Internet, stay away from, um, you know, just try to completely avoid it. Now, us who live and, and work in this day in and day out, I dare say you, you can't avoid it, and, and somewhere there's got to be that balance. And, I, and Derek, back to what you said, that's where that critical thinking comes in. But I'm, I want to start with Julius, your thoughts. When people, you know, start going to the other extremes, is it, it dangerous to think that you could even avoid this and, and, and stick your head in the sand? And um, whether or not you have a smartphone or have an Internet or a Facebook account, aren't you still in some ways vulnerable still and need to educate yourself? What, what do you say to that? Um, what I'll say to that is um, I'll go with history and some facts. Um, again, going back to um, Enron, um, uh, WorldCom, and even when the, we had the financial collapse. It was all about not having the controls in place and having people, um, you know, go find creative ways to go around controls. Where um, after the bottom fell out um, in 2008, no, still no one had gone to jail, um, and so how would it how would it affect someone who's like, hey, I'm not, I don't have a Facebook account, Twitter. Shoot, I don't even have a um, smartphone or a computer. I, I just use an old flip phone. But guess what? You want to retire one day. You're putting in a lot of hours. Um, you might um, you probably diversify good, hopefully. Um, you might have IRAs, other places. But guess what? You get the same actors who get greedy because that's what it's all about, even from the hackers and even to professionals who like to um, bend rules. Um, and they crashed the market again, and now it's time for you to retire, and you were smiling looking at your retirement um, build up like two, three years before you were ready to retire, and now you're ready to retire, and these same um, people did the, this, the same thing again, and now you have little to nothing left in your retirement account, and you don't own a smartphone, you don't own uh, um, a computer, but they were able to manipulate um, technology um, in, in such a way to circumvent controls. Wow, that <laughs> that was quite sobering. I, well, you know, and, and that that should should really um, hit home. So, you know, and that's again that you know to my my thought process as well. You know, as Derek's talking about, you know, critical thinking. My thought process as well is that it's never good to stick your head in the sand and to try to to ignore things, and and especially when there's you know so much information. You hear talk and chat and doing things like we're trying to do, 
get that conversation started around all circles and, and make it part of the coffee talk of the day um, or cooler talk. People need to be aware, need to um, raise their awareness and get engaged um, and understand what this topic is. They, clearly, we're to bringing it to the forefront, and, and there's a reason. It's not going to go away, and uh, people just need to, to, to really um, look into this, read up on it. There's a lot of information out there on the, the Internet, and again, organizations like BDPA, uh, what Derek, the, the themes that you're hosting, and as you mentioned, Derek, it's going to be a reoccurring uh, topic with um, Atlanta BDPA. So the, the other, I want to give you a chance too to see if you wanted to add any comments to that, as well as you know people who say that they you know kind of sticking their head in the sand, and any comments you have to that, Derek. Yeah, you know the, it, it goes directly to what Julius just said. <laughs> You can't stick your head in the sand. You know, if you have a smartphone, if you hold a bit of technology, then you're engaged. You you have implicitly engaged in the act of commerce that can quite potentially jeopardize your well-being. That means your data is out there. And for the most part, all of us who recognize these things know this. You know, you go on Facebook and you put your information out there, exposure. You have 18 different applications that require a password because you want to keep it simple. You put password in, exposure. Or you put your birth date in, and your birth date is open on your Facebook page, exposure. All of this is something that if you're going to try and get it right, you have to engage and aspire to a higher level of critical thinking, critical cognition. Be wary. Be engaged. And, you know, and then that leads me to those of us who, if we at least can get of one mind and say I have to be more responsible about myself and, and what I do in terms of technology, there are those of us that have a real passion for it and we want to go beyond. Again, that's some of the stuff Julius and I were talking about when you consider InfraGarden. You know, we like just knowing stuff. That's, that's cool. And if you do know stuff and you want to get paid and you can step up to the next level, then think about, you know, those certifications and security that can – you can leverage and, you know, monetize the things that you get engaged in that you that you like around security. In that field, and that's something that we've never really got into deeply, you know, from a risk-based security standpoint, when corporations are trying to go beyond compliance, they have to now consider active monitoring. You can't just do a SOC 2 document and, and make sure you're Sarbanes-Oxley compliant and, and doing everything that the government asks and you put a firewall in place and you check off a list. I mean, that may work until someone out there who is, you know, operating on a budget and hacking gets in through a vendor, and all of a sudden you got Target on your hands. And where you were being smart about your budget and fiduciary responsibility and, and fiscally sound right up until you got exposed, now you have yourself a $30 million problem because you were lax and lazy. You know, folks who get engaged in the field can, can, can get engaged in that and help better that situation. Risk-based security requires that you actively monitor your networks and you put pieces in place so that you can detect an intrusion and know that it's occurring as fast as possible, if not real time. So that is the evolution of where the field is going to go. That um, I love telling people this example. When you look back on that movie Hackers with Angelina Jolie and they had that room in the oil company where all the folks were sitting around, and they kept looking at the network. You know, most of us who work in corporate America know that room did not exist. You know, of course, you know, on the monitor, all the things look pretty with all the lights and, 
and it moved. And, you know, computer screens don't look like that. that that's moving nonsense. But as time has gone by and the need has become more aggressive, those rooms are starting to become a reality. And there are people whose job it is to safeguard the walls beyond the firewall and within the firewall. And in the C-suite, the conversations are now happening where you can't just sit there and know that a firewall means you've got a blinking light and a port and something or another. You have to be a bit more knowledgeable about it and understand what those things mean so that you can be responsible and secure the information that you're steward for. And they're going to need people to drive that activity. There's a concept called hack back that could, you know, well, it, 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 some people want to do it. Um, there are legal implications, but if you give a corporation the, the power to determine who has intruded upon their network and they want to do more about it, try to shut down the intrusion and track back to where that intrusion occurred, then that, that might be something pretty cool. I think some, many of us would want that, but that opens privacy implications that we're already wrestling with on other matters. You know, do you want a corporation to have that kind of power? These are the things that people who are listening to this broadcast and want to get engaged can start to have real discussions about. And if you're on the forefront of the cutting edge of that technology and, and those discussions and the policies that have to go along with them, that's a powerful opportunity for you as an individual, something you really should consider if you want to further your career and you want to, you know, further your career along the cybersecurity line. I mean, I, that, that's, what, that's what Julius is doing. I, I, I like to look into this stuff because I'm I'm nosy and I don't not have ADD, but, you know, some people want to do it and they really want to capitalize and build on their career. And I encourage that, which is why I want to continue these discussions. Absolutely, absolutely. I have someone else I, I want to introduce on the line. Um, I believe we have Gary. Gary, um, I have your mic open. Are you on the line? Good evening, everyone. Hello. I have Gary Moss on the line, and, and Gary, as you know, I've got Derek Brown also on the line. And we, you were with us in part of that panel discussion that we started in Atlanta uh, a couple of weeks ago, and, and now uh, happy to have you on the, the line. And, and if you wouldn't mind, would you introduce yourself to our audience tonight? Yes. Uh, my name is Gary Voss. Um, I've been in the cybersecurity um, business going on 15 years now. Um, I During the time that I worked on my doctoral coursework, uh, I was a professor of cybersecurity at the University of Illinois uh, Biomedical Health Sciences Department where I taught cybersecurity. And uh, I'm now uh, also an independent consultant uh, on a variety of uh, cybersecurity projects. Well, excellent, and I'm so glad you could join us tonight, Gary. And and as you as we've been kind of recapping the the conversation that we had um, the other night, like I said, in Atlanta, sponsored by Atlanta BDPA and and um, facilitated by Derek Brown. As you recall the audience and some of their, their questions and concerns, and you gave some, some really helpful tips, some things that, practical things people could start to do right away as far as protecting themselves. Can you share with our, our audience your thoughts around how people can take ownership for protecting their, their digital um, identity? So, and 
Let me jump over to, I think um, Gary may have had some technical difficulties, but uh, fair enough, if not, I hope we can join us back on the line. Um, I mentioned earlier in the show that we're having rain in Atlanta, so uh, every now and then we do run into um, technical difficulties. But I still have, uh, Jillian, you're still with us, correct? Um, I'm still here, Jacqueline. Excellent. So if you just hang on in there with us, um, and hopefully technology will continue to be our friend. But let me ask you this, and, and Derek uh, um, kind of uh, took us in this direction as well. And talk about, you know, you have a career in cybersecurity. And I wonder for our audience, because a lot of times we have young people on the line uh, pursuing degrees, pursuing their careers, starting out with their internships, what is the day in the life of someone that works in cybersecurity, and 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 what is a what is a high alert day, so to speak? Well, what what are some of the ups and downs of of when you're you're working in cybersecurity from your experience in history? Um, well, what's happening across? Because um, there's a lot of uh, cybersecurity is very wide. Um, uh, it's like an ocean of um, opportunity, but um, every day to day that every person who's involved in some aspect of cybersecurity is trust but verify. Um, every, every the the person who is on the help desk who receives phone calls um, about. Um, uh, a salesperson on the road who can't access some critical business data, um, uh, and maybe they left their um, credentials um, needed to connect to the corporate network. Um, again, it's trust but verify. Um, you know, even at the, the help desk level, um, people who are in auditing roles that audit um, the controls in the technology, um, say like in a hospital situation um, where uh, the IT auditors um, from day to day, they are making sure that controls are in place, uh, people are following uh, proper documented procedures such that medical data um, isn't being breached. And now that I mentioned um, medical data, medical data and this isn't reported in the news, medical data is getting breached at a rate three times or more than what you hear about retail when you hear about the Anthem, um, the um, Home Depot, um, things around credit card information. There is, again, like four times the amount, uh, three to four times the amount in the healthcare area. And, it doesn't seem like they're able to get a, get their hands around it. Um, other things from day to day um, is that as new technology comes in, you know, you have people who are in labs that get to play with some of the cool technology and then try to see how they can take few of the features of these new features. Like, for instance, when smartphones and tablets came in um, to many corporations, um, you had, you know, a set of people who um, were like the beta testers who were able to um, walk around with the iPads and the iPhones where um, 
in the day of a security person, they're gaining new um, data and information on how to properly secure them and leave the technology functional enough such that it gives an advantage to the business. Um, so that's happening every day because I would say this, six months in the cyberspace is equivalent to one year for the average person who isn't so deeply involved in technology. Um, a year goes by and you're just like, wow, the amount of information that I've consumed <laughs> in one year, you know, working in cybersecurity, again, it could be someone who's just involved with logistics, taking um, new PCs, tablets, phones, um, um, receiving them and um, having the assets logged and things of that nature because we there's also a problem with securing um, the channels in which you uh, companies have procurement. Um, there's uh, bad people who are intercepting um, hardware, routers, um, updating the firmware with hidden agents that allow um, those bad actors to spy on the company. And no matter what controls they put in place, there's no way to stop them. So, uh, again, um, the day-to-day, um, even from like uh, not just the virtual logical controls, but the physical controls of actually um, making people uh, who are delivering things, again, trust them, but make them verify their identity when they're coming to pick up stuff, when they're coming to drop stuff off. Um, so it, it, it's security is woven in into almost every aspect from every role uh, in cybersecurity, thus plenty of opportunity for those who uh, are excited to get into the field. Absolutely, absolutely. Thank you. And, and you know, it, it sounds like in a way like serious fun. You know, you get to try out new things. You get to, to, to question things. And, and, you know, it goes back to that, that problem solving, trying to break the code. So, you know, some of those movies maybe aren't too far off. You know, something, and I'm sure it's a little bit uh, hard for you to watch some of the movies when they, they um, emulate, you know, the, the computer and the, the, the back rooms and that type of thing. Um, I, I even laugh at some of them sometimes, but, but sometimes they're not too far off, too, you know, the command centers and, and that type of thing. But just trying to, to monitor and at all times, uh, I'm sure, Corporate systems can be under attack, and, and when you least expect it or let your guard down, um, that's when, when they catch you, and that's what they're, they're waiting for you to do. So it, it really sounds like a, a thrilling area. And I, I dare say, let me jump over to back over to our line with uh, Gary. He had the opportunity to introduce himself, but, but Gary, are, are you there? Are you back with us? Yes, I am. I apologize for that. 
Oh, no problem. You know, this is live radio, so we expect the unexpected, I guess a lot like, you know, cybersecurity. So, um, but nonetheless, kind of share with us. We, we've covered a couple of topics tonight around people taking responsibility, personal security, all the way into how people can get into the field and be part of the, the problem solving to even the, the legislature around cybersecurity. So tell us what's, what's on your mind right now, uh, being a, a cybersecurity professional. Let me just uh, point out two things that I uh, would like to offer as help. Number one, criminals now also leverage technology to commit crimes, and we don't think about it from that perspective. For example, historically, if a criminal criminal was going to go rob a bank, uh, they would go to the teller and uh, present a note and rob it, as people are doing now, which you know they're easily being caught. But the point is, criminals now, because of the Internet, can rob many banks at one time and don't have to be there. So keeping that in mind as individuals, um, the thing that I always point out is that we need to develop a process, a process. What, what process do we have in terms of our own personal management? I mean, even from to a, a small example, uh, I'm a shredder. Okay, uh, one of the things that I do um, on a weekly basis is make sure that uh, the paper documents that have, uh, you know, any Google Googleable. I, I don't know if that's the word I use. It. It's called Google. Any Googleable information or any information that could be Google that's personal information uh, is information that should be shredded if it's in uh, paper print. It's just one process and philosophy that I use in terms of uh, managing uh, my digital assets, and that's what I recommend for individuals. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and I do recall another key tip that you gave and about when people are making purchases online, too. And, again, some things we, we take for granted, but um, um, for others, because sometimes um, the best things that, that, that are out there to, to uh, purchase are online. So, like I said, people can't always avoid it. But it's something, a great tip you gave about how to, you know, the, the balances with your credit card. Would you, would you also share that with our audience? Sure, absolutely. Um, I, I personally, and this is what I recommend in terms of uh, financial management, uh, the mechanics of it. Um, so at least in terms of purchases, have two accounts. Have an account with uh, your car, and you have an account with uh, out of car. Uh, a lot of times, I mean, I hear, I hear Clark Howard talk all the time about Never have a debit card, and and I I personally, um, from my perspective, would disagree. I think his point is, you once you use a debit card, it's very difficult to challenge that transaction, uh, as you could do with a credit card. Uh, the reason why I like debit cards is because I can move money back and uh, back and forth. So I typically, uh, for an example, uh, would have maybe just a couple hundred dollars on my debit card, and I move money over there to that card as I need it. 
uh, of course, the other account has no card associated with it. So that way, uh, I don't have $2,500 sitting out there. I wouldn't anyway. But I, w- I don't have a large amount of money sitting out there uh, at risk uh, to to be uh, stolen or breached. So from a business process, uh, I use uh, and move money over to a card that faces the world even. Uh, that's another point. That card is in the world. So you want to move money there as needed. So in the event that uh, it is breached, and in my case, if you try to hit me for over $200, you're going to be disappointed. The card is going to be declined. Absolutely, absolutely. So, again, people, they don't have to necessarily avoid it, just educate them the, themselves. There's some smart tips out there um, and, and, and research. And I dare say protect yourself, but go ahead and live your life and, and, and leverage technology. It, it, it's so important. It's here to stay, um, and, and I, I think that that's so important. Um, let me uh, go to the lines uh, and, and let my, my co-host also ask a, a question. Uh, David, I have your line open. Yeah, thanks, Jacqueline. Very intriguing, great topic, great conversation. And I have a question for Julius Clark. Uh, 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 Julius, we've got a, a lot of young folks coming into the marketplace, coming out of college. We also have professional uh, individuals looking to step into the cybersecurity environment. What would you say are the beginning career path blocks for the young individual coming out of college or coming out of an internship, and what's the career path for that of a polished professional? Thank you. Absolutely, and I'll just jump over here to to Julius and open his line. Julius. Okay. Um, well, let me start with um, the college intern. Um, the college and in- what's great about being a college intern is that um, you usually get to intern in many different companies and um, intern in um, in, in different departments uh, within a company. Um, And you get to ask a lot of questions. And the intern is amazed um, at how those working in the company want to listen to those questions and answer those questions. So as an intern, if you're interested in cybersecurity, um, you let that be known that you're interested in cybersecurity, even if your internship um, is related to some other area. um, They will um, be very happy to talk to you um, and show you um, how a typical day um, goes down um, in terms of uh, how uh, that role or department in, um, applies um, security and controls. Um, and so then you have, say, a college graduate. Um, I would say this, getting into cybersecurity is extremely hard. It is really hard to get in. There are more jobs than qualified people, but they're not going to put people who are not qualified in roles um, that will bring so much risk and exposure to a company. Um, But what I say is start off with traditional 
IT um, careers or technology because you have to understand what you should understand the technology that you're going to eventually protect. And I've talked to hiring managers um, in the cybersecurity space, and they said that, hey, we like bringing entry-level people in from the help desk. Um, I actually started my career in IT on the help desk, and it really makes you a very good professional, and those skills stay with you um, the higher you escalate, uh, your career escalates. Um, And for the seasoned professional um, who is looking to get into um, cybersecurity, I would say same, same rate. You let that be known. Um, and go back to school um, or go and get some professional certifications and don't be afraid to take a step backwards in your career in order to get that first job in cybersecurity. Because once you get that first um experience in cyber um in cybersecurity as a professional oh the you'll make up for taking a step back um i actually did that myself i was a senior systems engineer um back um with um before wells fargo um um acquired wachovia very prestigious title um we were looked at um as you know, techno gods, but um, I had to step back and take a role as a staff IT auditor with entry-level um, college uh, students um, to get into IT audit to start my cybersecurity career. Um, and it took me about 24, almost 36 months once I um, started my um, cybersecurity uh, master's program to make that switch. But um, I decided that it was uh, I wanted to be in um, the cybersecurity field so bad that I was willing to um, step back and be looked at as a uh, entry level person who's green behind the ears. <laughs> and I got that experience, but I leveraged my um, experience as a cybersecurity. Uh, I'm sorry, as a um, senior um, Windows Systems Engineer in that role. Um, because it's not sexy for a system engineer to move into IT audit because you don't touch any technology. You just inspect it. Uh, But I knew where all the, um, uh, you would say, dead bodies were in terms of with certain aspects of technology. But then there was also a respect that's given by um, other systems engineers when they're working uh, with someone who once um, worked with them um, so they knew they couldn't blow smoke um, at me, and um, I would just, you know, take what they said, you know, um, as it is. Um, so, for, again, for that seasoned professional, it would be to go back to school and um, consider um, um, a, a graduate degree um, in um, cybersecurity as well as um, and or getting certifications in cybersecurity um, and you network, 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 um, and be patient, and you can get in. 
Thank you. Thank you so much. And, and such such uh, relevant advice. And I, I really, you know, I, I was underlining and nodding my head as you said, sometimes you have to step back to, to move forward. That's so important. And, and, and look where it's taking you. It's, it's kind of just that step back and to propel you uh, to that, that next level. And it's also important when you see trends in IT, you have to follow the, the, the trends. And, and especially where there is longevity, and definitely in IT, you know, we've seen tech, different technology and, and different trends come and go. But as I, I keep mentioning, uh, security is going to be around as long as there is data and devices and um, the, the digital uh, highway, the Internet, and there, there's going to be things to protect. And so, um, so, so much there. And something else you talked upon that um, I think that there are even degrees in now is forensics, the forensics of computers and um, where there's, where there's um, death and uh, security breaches, then someone has to investigate the scene of the crime. And anymore, that's, that's part of the, uh, the digital space as well. So, you know, very, very intriguing and, and a lot of opportunities. And the more, like, I love what you said, too, about you need to understand the thing that you're protecting. That's number one. And just as if, if you're going to do forensics, you have to think sometimes like the, the, the criminal to follow their, their trail. So working both sides of security, uh, whether it's the proactive or the, uh, the reaction to that, that crime, great spaces and opportunities. So, so thank you for that, Julie. Thank you for that question, David. And, and I want to circle back. Now, I knew we were going to go over our time, but I'm trying to be respectful because uh, thanks to our, our panelists, Derek Brown, uh, Julius Clark, and also we have Gary Voss who have joined us. And, and uh, Gary, I want to circle back to you for one last question, and then we're going to wrap up for, for tonight. But, Gary, you being in the cybersecurity field, where, do you, where are you going next? What type of research and, and um, uh, opportunities are you pursuing? I know you said that you're a, a consultant. So can you share with us what are some of the things that are next for you in your career? The big thing for me is my uh, doctoral research. Um, my doctoral research deals with predicting cyber crimes and intimate partner relationships. And what I've found uh, increasingly over the years is that uh, here again, technology is being leveraged to uh, do things. And in this case, um, technology now is also um, a new level of domestic violence. You know, when we hear about um, we hear about uh, cyber stalking, cyber bullying, um, you know, think about it. What a better person to steal your identity than the person you've been sleeping with for over uh, several years now, and, and you're at odds. So uh, you'll find that this is going to be. Uh, the next big thing in terms of relationships and how uh, the, the the lack of etiquette, if you will, in those relationships will cause disruption uh, because uh, there's a lot of unknowns in terms of how do how do we behave in our relationships from a technical perspective? How do we, you know, where do we where do we draw the line in privacy in our relationships? Um, how do we uh, uh, give each other access or should we give each other access? 
I, I won't turn this into a whole nother lecture, but that's a whole nother path that's going to be a, a huge phenomenon in terms of uh, a new mix domestic violence. You'll see the the, the passion of crime uh, as you would when someone is stabbed like 20 times, you'll see that same passion from a, uh, a cybercrime perspective between individuals here in the near future. You'll see more of it. Wow, wow. And, and just think, we're ending the show on that note. I, and I, I'm completely intrigued and looking forward to a, a follow-up conversation. But um, and, and that's, that's I'm going to circle back to, to Derek and to Julius, you know, um, I have to say to our audience, they, they have to notice we left uh, our plugs for VDPA for last, but I'm going to start with, with Derek and the um, Atlanta chapter. We definitely look forward to the, the next panel discussion. As you said, you all have planned a series of panel discussions here in the Atlanta area on cybersecurity. And, and really thank you for kind of kicking it off and, and giving us the opportunity here at Technology Expresso to help facilitate the continuation of the energy that you started uh, a couple of weeks ago at the Atlanta uh, BDPA uh, uh, monthly meeting. But Derek, share with our audience what other things they can uh, look forward to from Atlanta BDPA. Well, Atlanta BDPA always tries to make sure we're running the gamut in terms of technology. And as you know, Jacqueline, over the last year and a half, we tried to become a much more holistic organization and engage this topic of STEAM. And cybersecurity, if you look at it from a holistic perspective, this stretches all across that science, technology, engineering, inclusive of arts and math, considering the aesthetic of how our tools look and how they behave and what it is we want to try to securitize. As we continue the year, Atlanta BDPA will continue to have discussions around these concepts. Be on the lookout. Go check out our meetup group, Atlanta BDPA. We're partnering with technologists of color, minorities in technology, NSBA, A, we're trying to do an alignment in this city to make sure we have the appropriate exposure across all fronts in terms of the cybersecurity topic. Go to our website, AtlantaBDPA.org, and you will see more information forthcoming. Check us out on Twitter. The most prevalent of our social platforms, of course, because that's where the heat is, and we're going to continue to tweet about cybersecurity and about upcoming events. And if you're in the Atlanta area and you just happen to have some time available on the 14th, come on down to Polygon and Atlantic Station. And we're going to be talking about our professional brand. We've been talking about cybersecurity tonight, but just as important is how you develop your professional brand in a technology-oriented world. There are those of us who simply don't think how you look, act, and behave is important as long as you know how to do. But if you want to achieve a certain level of success, we know that's not the case. All things must be considered, including how you present yourself to the world. So we'll have a special guest, Myra Brown, with the owner of Capri Brand, and she's a technologist herself, and she will come in and she will enlighten us on that topic. And from there, the year continues. We have a host of programs, so and, and not to extend it much further, but all I would say is continue to be engaged, to listen to Technology Expresso, and you will hear more about us and everything we're trying to do in the city. And I think that just about covers it, Jacqueline. And absolutely, and thank you, Derek, and thank you for being our guest tonight. And I have to give Julius also an equal opportunity to represent your chapter uh, at BDPA. Uh, Julius, tell us what's coming up and, and, and just uh, anything you want to share with us about your chapter. Okay, um, BDPA Charlotte chapter um, is under new leadership. Um, 
by a young lady uh, by the name of Erica Frazier. She's very passionate about the Charlotte community. She's very passionate about young folk um, and influencing them to pursue careers in technology, and she is extremely important, um, extremely focused uh, and passionate on making sure that women are uh, engaged and um, have opportunities to become leaders and um, thought leaders in this um, the, the IT space as well. And last week we, um, in the Charlotte chapter, had our high school computer competition uh, kickoff. And basically we had parents come in. Um, they brought their um, kids, and we basically talked to them about how a career in technology changes everything, um, how they are they can help their families, um, how they can possibly start their own businesses, and um, how they can enter into the middle class. And so uh, the program starts officially on um, April 18th, so we told them to go back, tell their family, tell their friends, and um, we're looking um, to start a, an exciting year with our high school computer competition. Well, exciting, exciting. You know, it's been a great show. I want to thank all of our guests again and look forward to continuing the conversation. Look forward to seeing our listeners out on uh, Twitter. and We can continue the conversation there as well, and we'll be providing uh, the links and follow-up information about the programs you heard about here um, uh, and, and just continue just to, to follow us. We're going to keep the topics hot, steaming hot, as a matter of fact. And um, I'm going to let in the, uh, David uh, close out with our our, um, our moniker. So, uh, David, I got your mic open. And what do we always say at the end of the show? Well, we always say, listen, leverage, learn, and launch. I want to thank Julius Clark, Derek Brown, and Mr. Gary Voss as well. We were in Charlotte last year, and they've got a great chapter. We're looking forward to great things from the Charlotte chapter coming up there, Technology Expresso, engaging you folks and, 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 and putting you guys on the map even more than you are now. As uh, Derek Brown has said, we've got great things going on here in Atlanta, and Technology Expresso is going to be all across the southeastern board country of the country here, engaging and, and exposing what we're doing to the rest of the world. So listen, learn, leverage, launch. Thanks a lot, everyone. And thank you. Good night. You've been listening to Technology Expresso Cafe Radio. Visit our website portal at www.technologyexpresso.com for a full list of broadcast archives, social media handles, and upcoming shows. Keep up with Technology Expresso while on the go by texting the word LAUNCH to 41411. That's texting the word LAUNCH to 41411. Thanks again, everyone, and remember, listen, learn, leverage, launch.